You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, for service times or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all. My name is Simon. I come from Wales, but I live in Norway. Uh, It's great to be back here for many reasons, but basically because it's so cheap. (laughs) And when you go to Tesco's and you fill your bag up with food and you think, oh, in my Norwegian mind, this is going to cost me 80 pound, and they ring it up and it's just 16 pound, you think, wow, wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Norway is quite an expensive place. But I want us to, like, that's a change of perspective. You might think, oh, gosh, things are getting so expensive here. That's your perspective. But then other people can come into our lives and say, gosh, it's so cheap here. And, and they explain why, and you think, okay, yeah, that, oh, got it. That changes our perspective. So today I want to change our perspective on evangelism, how we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. That's why the theme is called Resurrected Evangelism. It's Easter Day, Resurrection Day, though for us as Christians, every day is Resurrection Day. We don't have to wait for this day. Um, and we're going to take the reading from John chapter 20. Verses 26 to 31. Jesus is resurrected from the grave. He's alive. And he starts showing himself to other people and he starts telling other people and he tells the disciples and the disciples come to Thomas, who's one of the disciples, and Thomas says, I don't believe. I will not believe until I see him. And we read from verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put your hand and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not be disbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered him and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Just quickly pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus is alive. And we thank you, God, that through your word, you come to us this morning and you want to change our perspective um, on what it means to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So we just trust you, Lord, and we trust your word, and we trust your spirit to speak to our hearts today in Jesus' name. Now, what I'm going to do is actually move away a little bit from the text and go through some stories in John's gospel about how Jesus approached people and led them to a confession of faith that saved And all these people are very different, different backgrounds, different situations, different circumstances, different questions, and Jesus has a different style for each one, but he leads them all to the same confession. It says in verse 31, but these things are written so that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. What things were written? And all we have to do is go back into the book of John and read what's in there, and we will find out the things that are written that will help people to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Spiritually dead people are dead to divinity. Meaning that we could believe Jesus is a man, 
Oh, we could believe Jesus is a prophet, but to come and believe that Jesus is divine, that he is God himself, takes a miracle of God in our hearts and our minds to help us to believe. We are dead to divinity without the help of God's Holy Spirit. And we see that in the Gospels. Right in chapter one, verse one of John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you could actually change that to, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus, and the, and Jesus was the word, and Jesus was God. Straight off the blocks, John is saying, Jesus isn't just a man, he is divine. And when we speak about John the Baptist, we, we read that John the Baptist was preserved all of his life. The Bible tells us that when he was born, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that his life would be protected and he would be the one who would pave the way for the the coming Messiah. He would prepare people to come to faith in Christ. And we read in John chapter 129, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness and said, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, he whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Whenever you hear somebody say, this is the Son of God, they are saying that Jesus is not just a man, he's not just a prophet, they're saying he is God himself. And it is so funny in the text, because John says two times, I didn't know him until God revealed him to me. But John did know him. They were cousins. Their paths would have crossed. They would have known each other. So why is he saying, I didn't know him? Because he's saying, all of my life I knew him as a man. But it was only until God showed me that the Spirit descended upon him and remained that I came to realize and I had a revelation from God that he is the Son of God. He knew him to be God in the flesh. Amazing revelation from God. And if we keep reading from that, Jesus rises up, he's baptized by John, he rises up and he starts going to find people. And he finds the disciples. And we read in verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip. What happened when Philip spent time with Jesus? And he said to Philip, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew, and, and of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathaniel. You see, if we're truly spending quality time with Jesus, we will have a desire to go and tell others and to invite others to come and know this Jesus for themselves. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Where I live in Norway, we have, we have a place called Stranda where I live and the neighboring place is called Sykelven. And if you ever speak of the place called Sykelven when you're in Stranda, it's always boo. <laughs> Nothing good can come from Sykelven. And Nathaniel has this kind of presupposition that he's dismissive straight away. Nothing good can come from that place. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And Philip said to him, come and see. Sometimes, folks, the most simple evangelism is just to say to people, 
Come and see. Come to church. Come to a Bible group. Come for coffee. Come to a worship night. And they might be very dismissive and they might give you hundreds of reasons why and you might not have to hit them with deep theology. Just say to them again, come and see. Starts at seven. I'll pick you up. Sometimes evangelism can be really, really simple. Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now in the Greek, it sounds really weird because that means he's saying to Nathanael, an Israelite in whom there is no bait. And that word bait, to us it sounds weird, but to them as fishermen, you know when you try to catch a fish and you put this little bait on the end of the hook and what you're really doing is lying to the fish that you want to catch? You're trying to trick them and deceive them and you throw the hook in and they think this is food, yum, yum. Boom, they're caught. And he's saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I know things about you. You're not deceptive. You're not wearing a mask. You don't try to trick people. You just say it as it is. And Jesus is actually being quite positive to him. There's no deceit in you. There's no trickery in you. And that startles Nathaniel. And he said, how do you know that about me? Because there's also some divine revelation going on here. Nathaniel's being grasped. How do, how do you know the deepest things about me? Jesus goes further on and, and he says, Jesus answered him and said, um, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And there can be various stories about the fig tree, but for most people, they say that a fig tree was a private, secret place that you would go to spend time with God. And he catches Nathaniel out again by not just saying, Nathaniel, I know everything about you, but Nathaniel, I know about your secret places and your secret habits and what you do and where you go. I know you. And Nathaniel is shocked, and in an instant and a moment, he says, this. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. This is a one invite, one short, sweet sermon salvation. Very quick. He, Nathaniel is, oh, can anything good come out of that place? Spends a short time with Jesus, gets saved. God can do that in our churches and in our communities. Simple invitations, one sermon, how does he know me? He's the son of God. Spiritual revelation. But does Jesus use the same evangelism with everyone through the Bible? Because sometimes we'll see, you know, Jesus is love and he's so kind and that's the only way to evangelize. But it's one of the ways to evangelize. Jesus is always love. But his methods change uh, depending on who he speaks to. What about in John chapter three when we look at Nicodemus? Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus is a religious person. He's one of the rulers. He's one of the top experts. He knows the Old Testament scriptures. He comes to Jesus at night, which could be an indication that he is fearful of the Jews and what they would think about him associating with Jesus. He comes to Jesus and kind of, we think, gives him a compliment, but underneath it, he could be patronizing him a little bit and saying, oh, we know you must come from God because of these signs that you're doing, but Nicodemus has a different motive. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus in arrogance and pride because he thinks, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, 
And if the kingdom is coming with his chest puffed out, I'm here. Because the kingdom is for people like me. Why? I'm born a Jew. I'm circumcised. I've been brought up in Judaism. I'm ceremonially clean. I've done all of the good religious works. I'm ready. Now, I don't know, many of you have probably seen the Will Smith, Chris Rock incident on TV. And it's one of these moments that if you were to put physical words, physical actions to Jesus' words, this is what he does to Nicodemus. Almost says, Nicodemus, come here. Whack. Or a punch. We know those films when they, like, they punch them and they, they go all the way back and their head hit against the, the back of the wall. It's what he's doing. He's being brutal. Because he has to pierce this idea that Nicodemus has that he is saved because he's a good person. He does good things. He goes to church. He knows the Old Testament scriptures. I'm good. How many people do you know that will say that to you? Ah, but if there's a God, he'll save me. I'm good. I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad as the other guy down the road. And Jesus slaps him in his religious face and says to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. And Jesus keeps pressing on and says the wind blows where where it wants to. We don't know where it comes from or where it goes. And so it is with those born of the spirit. And Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? Jesus carries on and says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. And Jesus carries on with that classic John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And you might step back and say, well, hold on, he doesn't confess Jesus is the son of God. So that makes his evangelism style a failure. Because all we hear from Nicodemus in this chapter is, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. Sometimes we can have that with people. They can walk away from us and give us the nod of the head and say, I just don't know what you're talking about. But always remember that sometimes God's word is a slow burner in people's hearts. If you think about Nicodemus through the rest of John, you will hear in John chapter 9 that when the Jews are saying, we have to arrest this Jesus, he's causing so many problems. Who is it that defends Jesus and says, hey, you can't just arrest him. Our law says we have to hear him and understand what he is saying. He has to have a fair hearing. It's Nicodemus who defends Jesus in front of the Jews. And what about when Jesus dies and Joseph of Arimathea is taking the body down off the cross? Who is it that's bringing lots of expensive uh, herbs for the burial and helping Joseph of Arimathea with the body of Christ in the burial? It's Nicodemus. So we see a man who has private arrogance and fear, private defense of Jesus, public worship of Jesus. Sometimes evangelism is a slow burner. Last time I was here, I talked to you about the woman from the well, the Samaritan woman, and I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but go home and read it. It's fascinating how Jesus brings this woman who's confused about religion, confused about sexual sin, confused about the places to worship, and confused about the Messiah, 
And Jesus leads her to a confession where she says, he is the Christ. And she rushes off to a village to be an evangelist. How did that all start? It started from weakness. Jesus sitting down at a well, tired and thirsty, and turning to a Samaritan woman who he shouldn't speak to, and saying to her, give me a drink. Jesus shows weakness. And there's nothing wrong with us at times as Christians evangelizing out of our own weakness. We don't always have to show people we've got it together. We don't always have to show that nothing affects us. Sometimes we can speak to people out of our strengths and our joys, and other times we can speak to people just out of our weakness and our situation and have the humility to be able to say to others, can you help me? Can you give me a drink? Can we speak? I want to speak to you about something that's going on in my life. That situation led to the woman going to the villagers and leading the whole village to faith in Christ, where they themselves said, he is the savior of the world. What happened there? The woman went and spoke to them. They invited Jesus in and they listened to his words that tells us in the scriptures for two days, almost like a two-day conference. And I would say any Christian conference that you go to that speaks about Jesus, we should all be coming out of there, like the villagers, refreshed and saying, Jesus is the savior of the world. And he's my savior, and he is the son of God. That's Nicodemus, that's the woman, that's the villagers. Jesus is using different methods, different styles. He's meeting people where they are and engaging in real conversation, but leading them all to the same confession. What about in John chapter six? You have um, a huge crowd of people following Jesus. Massive crowd. But Jesus says to them, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, um, the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs. Graham, I was thinking about the word that you gave earlier. Because they saw the signs that Jesus was doing. Jesus does his fourth miracle. He multiplies food. Five loaves of bread, two fish, thousands of people. He multiplies the food. They're all fed, and there's leftovers. Why? Not just because he's a man, not just because he's a prophet, because he's God himself, and he can do these things. The crowd drifts away, and in verse 16, we hear that Jesus does his fifth miracle. Do you know what the fifth miracle was? He walked on water. Now, have you ever seen a man or have you ever seen a prophet walk on water? I've never seen that happen. But God was able to do it. Jesus was able to do it because he was God. The crowds come back to Jesus and Jesus says this to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now Jesus is going to evangelize to people in a way that actually makes them stop following Jesus. You get that, right? Sometimes Jesus evangelizes to people in a way that stops them following. Because there comes moments when Jesus has just said, you know what, I've had enough of false followers. They were just following him for signs. And then it says that they were also just following him for the bread. They ask him a question, what shall we do to do the works of God? 
And what did Jesus say back to them? Believe. Believe that I am the Son of God. And in verse 32, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. And they say to him, sir, give us this bread always. It's like the Samaritan woman who said, give me this living water. And you almost think, Jesus, you you got them. They're asking for the, the bread. Give it to them. But Jesus is revealing here that actually they are not true followers. Their motive is completely wrong. They're not following Jesus because he is the son of God. They're just following Jesus for good stuff. Just give us food. Just give us miracles. Just give me my best life now. Because that's all I want from you. I don't want anything else. And Jesus at times says that that attitude has to die. How do we know that? Jesus carries on. Um, He says, for this is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes on him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him. That word grumbled, when I was reading it, it reminded me of the Old Testament story when the nation of Israel escaped from Egypt with mighty works from God. And in the wilderness, God fed them with bread from heaven and did many amazing things. And as they were on the edge of the promised land and they sent the spies in, and 10 other spies, uh, they, they all came back with a kind of good report. No, two of the spies came back with a good report. And they said, we can enter in. But there were some that said, no, no, it's, it's not going to be good there. There's giants there. And they started to speak in unbelief. And the same wording is there is that they started to grumble. Brothers and sisters, let us never be known by our grumbling. I'm speaking to myself here. As a Christian of 22 years, I think there's too much grumbling that's crept into my life. And we have to be careful because grumbling can turn to unbelief. And it can just sneak in without us even knowing. Let us never be known by our grumbling, but let us always be known by our rejoicing. Doesn't mean we don't, we don't talk away bad times, we don't talk away pain, we don't talk away loss and death and hurts, absolutely not. But as Christians celebrating the resurrection of Jesus through it all, we can still rejoice, even in tears. We can still rejoice, even in sorrows. These people started to grumble because Jesus wasn't meeting their expectations. And then Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. And then it says this in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back. Why? because Jesus wasn't gonna give them what they wanted. He looked deep into the depths of their heart and said, you're not true followers and you're never going to be. Sometimes God hardens the heart of people and they go even further away. That might shock you, but Jesus does it and it's in the Bible. And as there were many that turned away in in the desert in the Old Testament and only few that followed, so it is in this story. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In the New King James, it says the Son of God. It's the same thing. 
It is a declaration that Jesus Christ is God himself. And we make that declaration because God is helping us and opening up our own eyes. In Matthew 16, when Jesus speaks to Peter and says, who do people say I am? He then says to Peter, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my father who is in heaven. This is what God wants to do in all of our lives. Help us to see and believe and crystallize our faith by being able to say, he is the son of God. He is the holy one of God. God has helped me to see it and God has helped me to believe it. What about the blind man in John chapter nine? I'm doing okay for time. The blind man in John chapter nine. This is an amazing story. And as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but the works of God might be displayed in him. Meanwhile, we must work the works of him who sent. Meanwhile, it is day, night is coming, and no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went back, washed, and came back seeing. What I love about this story of how a miracle was used to bring somebody to faith is the evidence that was provided. From birth, born blind. Jesus made some mud, told him to go and wash. He came back seeing. He went home to his neighbors and his neighbors started saying, hey, you're seeing. You were the beggar. We've known you all of your life. You couldn't see and now you see. Others were so amazed. They were saying, no, no, this isn't him. Looks like him, but it's not him. So they then take this man to the Pharisees and the Pharisees drill him and saying, who's, who's opened up your eyes so that you could see? And he started saying, oh, but this, this man, this man, Jesus. And when they found out that it was on the Sabbath, they were furious and they didn't believe him. So the Pharisees then go to his parents and say, hey, what's happened to your son? He says he sees somebody healed him and they go, yeah, he's our son, he's always been blind, but now we know that he can see. And they say, go and ask him. He can speak for himself. And then the Pharisees come back to him again <laughs> and say, this man who you say healed is a sinner. You give glory to God. And he says, well, I, I, I don't know who this man is. You see, this miracle has not saved him. And we, we, I got nothing wrong with miracles. We should pray for miracles. Miracles do not guarantee people come to faith. He's witnessing about Jesus, but he's still not come to the confession. And when he says to the Jews, sounds like you're a follower of him, sounds like you, you, you're attracted by him, do you want to be his disciples? They are furious and they kick him out of the temple area. And when Jesus hears that he's been kicked out, then he comes to him in Matthew chapter six and he says to him, do you believe in the son of man? This is quest miracle question evangelism. And again, that phrase son of man is do you believe that Jesus is God? If you think about the vision Daniel had in Daniel chapter seven, he said that I see one like the son of man coming on the clouds. It's a divine revelation. Stephen, just before he's stoned in Acts, 
he looks up and he says, I see someone like the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in glory. It's a divine revelation. He's coming to this blind man and just asking him a simple question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, show me where he is and I'll believe. And he's right in front of him. Same like the Samaritan woman who said that we know the Messiah is coming and we know when he comes when he'll tell us all things. Jesus has just been telling her all things about her life, about religion, about the Messiah, right in front of him. What does it say that he does? He said, Lord, I believed, and he just worshipped him. The miracle helped, no doubt, but it was still the confession that saved It is the confession from our hearts and our minds about who Jesus Christ is that saves us. We should pray for miracles, absolutely. God can heal. But we should pray for people to come to faith from a confession about them thinking, them reading, them hearing about who Jesus Christ is and saying themselves, he is the son of God. Two more to go, Martha in chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sisters Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This can seem like cruel evangelism. Jesus, Lazarus, is ill, the one whom you love. So what they're saying to Jesus is, can you come quickly, heal him? The cruel thing is, is that Jesus doesn't come. He stays an extra two days where they are. And you can step back and go, Jesus, what are you doing? You're supposed to be love, you're supposed to heal, but you step back and take two extra days And in fact, as you read on, it takes more days away from Lazarus because then Lazarus dies. And it's only when Lazarus dies that Jesus says to his disciples, come, we're gonna go to him. Martha rushes out and says, Lord, if you had been here, you could have saved him. How many of us sometimes are like that in life? We don't understand sometimes what God is doing. We don't understand sometimes why God has not answered our prayer and pain and hurt and loss has come into our life, and we don't understand it. And Sometimes we have to step back and look at the bigger perspective of eternity, and there's a much bigger picture going on than just my little life with Jesus. The danger is that I will shrink Jesus down into a pocket-sized Jesus and rub him like a genie and say, you're here to make my life great and to answer my every prayer. And sometimes we have to step back and go, God, you are much bigger than my little Jesus that I can create. Help me always, God, to have this bigger perspective of who you are and realize that my prayers enter into a much, much bigger environment. God's plan for eternal salvation for those who will believe in him. Jesus comes to her again with a question and says, um, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this question? 
Do you believe this, Martha? Jesus has known them for, for years. They're close friends. There is no miracle here. Lazarus is dead. Do you believe this, Martha? And Jesus is helping her also to make this decision. He's not trying to catch her out. It's part of discipleship that he brings us to these moments where we know for sure who Jesus is. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world. Beautiful confession. Sometimes our greatest evangelistic moments can come in our greatest tragedies. Our greatest tragedies. People think when death comes, when we lose loved ones, obviously people think about death and they, they tend to think a bit deeper and sometimes people are more open for us to share our faith. I remember when my mother died and I preached at the, the, her, her, the service and the funeral and there were all these unsaved family and friends there and you're able to, to speak the word of God to them. And then after, we were all in the pub and because of the culture, drink they were drinking and all of that. And as I was leaving, a girl who I used to work with me just pulled me with tears in her eyes and said, Simon, pray for my soul. I don't want to perish. You would never ever have thought that she was thinking that on the surface. And never ever be fooled by how people behave on the surface. Have confidence that with God's word, God can still be working. Simon, pray for my soul. I don't want to perish. Back to Thomas. We've had a little journey through. I hope that this has inspired you to go home and read and see how Jesus comes to people how Jesus changes the conversation but leads them all to the same place, a confession of who Jesus is. And we come all the way back to Thomas. And Thomas just said, I'm not gonna believe until I see. Where would you be? Or where would your friends be? I'm not gonna believe until da-da-da-da-da. I'm not gonna believe until da-da-da-da-da. And Jesus can meet them right there. Thomas wanted evidence. And some people want evidence. I have a friend again who tried to witness to her father and she gave her best efforts around the table, wanting her father to be saved and to know about Jesus. She told her testimony and she gave her best job and then her father looked at her and smiled and went, you keep speaking to your imaginary friend and I'll live in the real world. She was heartbroken. But I said to her, well, maybe he just wants evidence. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, there's solid evidence that Jesus was real. We'll explain that. And we've heard this quote this week. Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist, will say, quote, I am not here to deny Jesus existed. Jesus existed. He's a real historical person that really, truly lived in history. Gerd Ludemann, who is another atheistic scholar, says this, the fact that Jesus Christ died by crucifixion is undeniable. These are atheists. <laughs> Don't believe Jesus was God, but truly believe he was truly a person in history. You can give those types of quotes to people who say, I, I want some more evidence. I need some facts. It is historically true. Taking resurrected evangelism into our everyday lives. That's people in the Old Testament. What about you? How do we move out of this place now with resurrected evangelism to those who we associate with? Our family, our friends, 
in our schools, in our offices, in our streets, in our cafes? How do we witness to them? Notice how different people are. Listen to them. Understand where they're coming from. And pray. And ask God to guide you and ask God to lead you. And if you meet people that want evidence, go home and find some evidence. Go home and read up. Go home and sharpen your swords, sharpen your minds. You can say to atheists who might say to you, if God is real, why is there so much evil in the world? And you can put that back to them and say, okay, you believe in atheism and evolution? Yes, I do, absolutely. Okay, why does atheism and evolution allow so much evil in the world? And get them, them to think about the, the things that they're saying and to reflect. Jesus meets people where they are and he gives them implicit faith. This is something that Calvin talked about. It's enough faith to be saved. We don't know everything about the Trinity. You don't need to know everything about what the Bible says. But somehow God comes into your life through his word and he gives you enough faith to start the journey. It's called implicit faith. And even if we've been Christians for 22 years or 50 years, we still don't know it all and there is still so much more to know about Jesus, our Lord. We heard um, from Len the other day that there are things that happen in the spiritual world that affect our world. And that grabbed me again the other day because I thought, gosh, I forget that sometimes. We can say, why are these things happening on earth? We just don't understand it. But we have to step back and remind ourselves that some of the things that are happening on earth is because they're already happened in the spiritual world first. And they affect our lives here. True divine light comes to seek and to save, absolutely. But we have to remember that that same light will cast a shadow on those who do not believe. Flesh and blood does not reveal this divinity to us, but our Father who is in heaven. Let us be known more by our joy, our praise, our grace, our thankfulness than by our grumbling. Jesus comes to us because he says in his word in that verse, Thomas, you have seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. And I just assume that I'm looking out on this congregation and you're here because somehow, some way, at some time, through a method which is different for all of us, Jesus led you all to that same place of being able to say, he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. I believe. About 24, 25 times in John's gospel, Jesus says these statements, truly, truly, I say unto you. And you know when he says truly, truly, he's saying, hey, listen to what I'm saying. I just want to read two of those truly, truly's to you, and then we'll pray. John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. John 5.25, truly, truly, the time is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. I always used to hear this story that we are like, when we don't know Jesus, we're swimming in our sin. We're struggling in an ocean of sin and Jesus will only jump in and save us when we've run out of energy 
and we finally cry out with our hands and say, oh Jesus, I recognize my sin, I'm dying in it, will you come and save me? And at that moment, Jesus will dive in. I don't believe that story is true because what we need to realize is we're dead in our sin. Lying at the bottom of the ocean, dead. And it's Christ who comes to us in our deadness. While we were still sinners, Christ died. He comes to us. He shakes us up. He wants to breathe resurrection, life and breath into us so that we might rise up and believe in him. Truly, truly, the time is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. So I'm believing even here today, you were once dead, but now you've come alive. And being alive in him means that you live. So let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we can come to your word. Thank you that on resurrection day you can remind us we were once dead, totally dead. And it took you to come and bring the initiative and to bring your spirit and to speak to us about Jesus and what he's done and why he did it, why he died on a cross, why he came back to life, because of our sin. Our sin kills us. And I just want to throw out a challenge here, an encouraging challenge. Have you heard the voice of the Son of God today speak to you? Maybe you, you think you're not saved. Maybe you think, actually, I, I think I've been following Jesus for real selfish motives and never because he is the Son of God who died for my sins and he wants to give me everlasting life. If you're here today and that's you, I would encourage you straight after the meeting to come and speak to somebody and just grab them and say, come and pray for me. I want to respond to the voice of the Son of God who has come to me today. Father, you have said that the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear shall live. Help us to be a living church here in Bonas, God. But help those people who are not here today, they're on their ways doing different things. Help them come to faith in Jesus Christ. Let resurrected evangelism, Father, be the heartbeat of our churches and the heartbeat of our communities where we go out to the religious people, we go out to the sinful people, we go out to those who want to just use you and we give them the true message of the gospel. That Jesus Christ was not just a man, he was not just a prophet, he was God himself coming to save the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.